We're going to talk about prayer and unconfessed sin. Now, when you think about all the aspects of prayer, that might think, seem like sort of a, a weird, uh, awkward, hard place to start because there's so many, I mean, praying in Jesus' name, we could talk about that tonight. Or we could talk about praying the will of God. Or we could talk about praying in faith. But really, confession has to be square one when it comes to our prayer lives. And the reason I believe that is what it says in Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished, valued, uh, treasured, held on to, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So all, as great as all those other things are, what the author of the psalm is saying is if I'm treasuring sin in my life that God's convicting me about, the Lord would, would not have listened. And the idea we get from that is does, it does not make sense to pray for anything so long as we're defiantly holding on to sin in our lives. Think about the contradiction there. Imagine just for a moment that you're holding on to a sin, you're cherishing it, you're rationalizing it, and you, before bed, say, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. That's what Jesus told his disciples when they asked how to pray. And you start out, you say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed or holy or set apart be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but not, not right here, not this area. You know, everywhere else, God, let your will come. But I, I like this the way I like it. it. It doesn't make sense. And some of what we're getting out of this is it's impossible for us to have an awesome, vibrant prayer life so long as we're bound and determined to, to hold on to that sin that God's convicting us about. So that leads us to a, a big question. Probably a lot of you are wondering it. I went there as I studied this this week. Does that mean I have to be perfect before God will listen? I want to answer that with a big, fat no. Okay, thank God. If we had to be perfect for God to, to listen to us, he, he wouldn't hear any of our requests. But what it does mean is if he's working on us in some area and we know darn well he's working on us, and we're defiantly holding on to it, it doesn't make sense to ask him for anything unless we're prepared to confess. Um, we, we forfeit our, our fellowship, our, our closeness with God. Not the, not the relationship. You know, when Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, I believe that. Once you're his child, he's your father. You're his son, you're his daughter. But that relationship is, that closeness is affected. You know, imagine a couple where the husband is, is having an affair. And the wife finds out about it. She, she knows about it. And he knows she knows. But he says, you know, I know she knows about this. But I, I just want to come home and have a, just have a conversation. Let, 
I, I expect that we could have this conversation as always. So he sits down and says, hey, uh, why don't you tell me about your day, sweetheart? How, how, how was your day? Um, would you like to go to a movie on Friday? You know, it makes no sense for him to expect that conversation to be without tension, right? Without some distance in the relationship. So, so why do we expect that of God? Or let's say a friend of yours steals your iPod, and you know about it. You know they stole your iPod. And yet they come over and, and they just want to talk, and, you, and they expect that there's no tension in the relationship. It doesn't make sense. So why, why do we expect that to be any different with God? Same relationship, but the fellowship is altered. Uh, there was a time in Israel where the people of Israel began to question, does God even hear our prayers anymore? They're basically asking the question, can, can he even hear us anymore? And this was his answer in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. He says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What's Isaiah saying to the people? He's saying, don't blame God. God doesn't change. His, his hearing is just fine. He can hear the faintest cry of his weakest, most broken child. And what he's saying to them is, if God's been silent in your life, if God's been silent in response to your prayers, maybe the first place we ought to look is inside of our hearts. Say, have I been cherishing sin? You can't go through the Bible without realizing that God hates fake worship. He hates fake prayer even. Listen to Isaiah 1, 13 through 15. He says, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, these are all things that he told them to celebrate. I, I, I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. When you think about candles and sermons and, and guitars and songs and prayers. And the idea here is that God doesn't want any of that if our hearts aren't devoted to him. And it's nonsense to go on pretending. I remember one time this was driven home very clearly in my life. Me and Carolyn had an argument and neither of us saw each other's point. Neither of us saw the situation the same. And I began to push her buttons and say things that, that I shouldn't have been saying, just being mean. And I remember in the middle of that, I said, forget it. I'm just going to go in the other room and pray and read my Bible. It sounded so spiritual, right? Yeah, that's the right thing to do. And I'll never forget when I walked in that room and tried to pray. I could feel them 
bouncing off the ceiling and coming, coming right back at me, almost as though God was looking me in the eye and saying, I gave you that wife out there. I told you to love her like Jesus loved the church. Now, before you come in here and talk to me, you go make things right with her. And 1 Peter 3, 7 came to mind at that moment. That's where Peter said, husbands, be considerate of your wives. Treat them with respect so that your prayers will not be hindered. So if you're not sure about this connection between sin and prayer being hindered, it's right there in the New Testament. That's just one example that became very real to me. Now, if we had to stop right here, this would be a pretty depressing evening, right? We're not going to stop there. God, right after he told them about all the stuff he hated about their fake religion, their fake ceremonies, he gives them the remedy in Isaiah 116. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, how many of you would love it if your prayer life was described with those two words? Powerful and effective. But the truth is, as long as we harbor unconfessed sin in our lives, it, it will never, never be that. More good news, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, it's basically agreeing with God that what he's convicting us about is wrong, laying it down. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the, the challenge tonight is, Wherever God's working on you, wherever the Holy Spirit is, is tugging on you, whatever that sin is that's coming to mind right now, let, let's do that. Let's, let's confess it. Let's start there. I'm telling you, you could revolutionize your prayer life. If you've been going months and years without seeing an answer to prayer, it could be that it starts right there. And when you think about sins, we're not just talking murder or or affairs, you know, we're talking things like lying, bitterness, coveting, fornication. And here's where we want to close. It makes sense to confess our sins if we expect God to answer. It, it just makes sense. Remember the story of David. He had an affair with Bathsheba, had her husband killed. And the guilt of that kept him up all night. The prophet Nathan came and he finally realized it was time to stop the, the masquerade. And he wrote a psalm that was his confession of what had happened. It was Psalm 51. Beautiful prayer. And throughout the psalm, you see how God gently restored David, washed his sin away. It's a, it's a beautiful psalm. And what I want to tell you is what God did for David, he wants to do for, for you and me. Make his confession your confession. 